Today's um, readings are from Proverbs, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 7, and then uh, chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. And it can be found on page 985 of the Church Bible. So I'll just give you a moment to find that. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behaviour, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless. For he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair every good path, for wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. Um, great to be with you today and a couple of quick things I meant to say was, oops, there it is. Um, if you want to know what sort of things City Bible Forum does, uh, I've got a calendar of events for the year. It's not everything, but it's, at least it gives you a bit of a snapshot of the sort of things that are coming up throughout the year. Um, there are a mixture of things, some of them for Christians uh, to learn and get trained in and others uh, to bring your friends out to get exposed to the Christian message. So um, feel free to grab one of those from me. Um, I'll try and leave them on the table. Remember to leave them on the table as well afterwards. And there's an outline for you to follow along with the uh, excerpts that we're looking at from Proverbs today inside a little um, booklet. So the outline's on page three and the, the, the parts that we're looking at in Proverbs on the first two pages. I want you to imagine taking a walk through the life of somebody who is a worker and um, they work out of the CBD and uh, they get up, they stumble in, uh, to the gym on Monday morning in a half comatose state, and uh, there they are on the treadmill, and they just happen, it comes into focus while they're there. They look at a poster on the board, uh, on the wall there, and it says, Be yourself, but only better. <laughs> and then on Tuesday, they go out for lunch, grab a quick bite, and they notice there's a new shop there in Rundamore, it's called Successories, and it deals with all these sort of motivational products and there's a poster for you to be able to buy, and someone is buying it, and it's a picture of a person dwarfed by Mount Everest, and it says underneath it, let me fall if I must, the one I will become will catch me. 
On the Wednesday, she gets to her MBA lecture late and slides into her seat. And there the lecturer is droning on. He says, two roads diverged in a wood and I took the one less travelled by. And that has made all the difference. And she says, you know, that resonates with me. Of anything you've said tonight, because that's exactly what my experience of taking a shortcut to try and get here through the traffic. <laughs> On Thursday, she's pulling her hair out because she's got to do a presentation in the afternoon. So she goes into the um, staff kitchen and tries to get a coffee. And she looks up and there's a poster there. And it says, sometimes when you're in a dark place, you think you've been buried, but actually you've been planted. <laughs> so paranoia is now setting in. She visits her financial advisor on the way home from work and she doesn't hear what he's saying because on the screensaver behind, it says, the first one gets the oyster, the second one gets the shell. <laughs> She's thinking, <laughs> At the school gate on Friday, she talks to um, another parent, that person's you know, uh, living with someone, the boyfriend's left, it's a long-term situation, and she blurts out, better to have loved and lost than never to have loved at all. How could she say this to her friend? But her friend finds this incredibly inspirational. <laughs> On Saturday, she goes house hunting. She gets a card of the real estate agent. She looks at it. In small italics at the bottom, it says, if you're on the right track, you'll get run over if you just sit there. So she thinks, I'd better buy the house. So you see, Saturday night, she flops down with her teenage son. They're looking at The Simpsons. They're watching it. And uh, Homer's there, and he's waxing lyrical. And he says, Marge, the first half of life is ruined by our parents, the second by our kids. She thinks, hmm, looking at the teenage son. <laughs> On Sunday, she tentatively suggests to her husband, you know, the girls are going out for a walk along the beach. I thought I might join them. He puts his hands on his hips and says to her, marriage is a verb, not a noun. <laughs> so I don't know what your week is like and what you hear around you, but those mantras are everywhere. They saturate billboards, um, screensavers, cartoons, posters, songs, ads, and the whole world at the moment is predisposed to this 30-second nuggety little grab that you can spit out to people. And the Bible has them too. And they're called Proverbs, and that's what we're going to be looking at together over the next few weeks. Three weeks, in fact, two weeks with me, one week with Chris Joloff. So here are some things to notice about why Proverbs are catchy. First of all, they get used frequently. Most civilizations have tried to understand themselves through their Proverbs. They, they actually coin these phrases, and they make sense of their experience through a proverb. So we all know them. Let me try one. Uh, the squeaky wheel. Okay, it takes two. Okay. Um, if you can't beat them. All right. I bet you even some of the youngest people here know that because they are frequently used and so we pick them up in our um, dialogue with others. The second thing you notice about them is they're transferable from culture to culture over distance and centuries. So these sayings shape the essential character of the people who collect them and keep using them all the time. So you actually become what the Proverbs tell you over time. 
Parents pass on proverbs to children to teach them about life. I can still remember some of my dads. Dad had one for um, a person who was stingy. It's not politically correct, all right, but I'll say it here and you don't say it further than this. But, um, but he would say, when someone was stingy and they didn't shout the beers at the pub, he'd say, oh, yeah, yeah Jack, he, he, you know, he's, he spends money like a man with no arms. Which I didn't understand for years. <laughs> I had no idea what he was... Uh, anyway, so, but what happens is you say it. You say it. If you haven't got it, I, I had a French friend and I said it by mistake to my French friend. He's like this. I said to him, oh, because the man doesn't have any arms, he can't get in to get his wallet. Oh, he said. <laughs> said, we have a proverb like that. In Normandy, in the region of Normandy, he said, you see what? In the water in summer, there are um, anemones in the water and they sting you with their tentacles. So he said, the phrase that we use is, Tu as un son dans la poche, which means um, he has tentacles in his pockets. So he goes in to get his wife, ow, ow, ow. You know, it's the anemones. So proverbs are actually transferable from culture to culture, time and, and distance. The third thing about proverbs is they're memorable. They're worth repeating. Um, that's why people learn them. They capture the experience of many of us. Um, it's an occupational hazard for many Christians. Uh, I don't know whether you're in this boat. You eventually get asked to be on a board or a committee somewhere. Okay. Now, often what happens is you come across people on those committees who love to use the same refrains over and over again at particular points of crisis in the meeting. Okay. So, you know, they're sitting there, you're talking about something, it's an impasse, and Jim says, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And everybody goes, whoa. <laughs> and that's the meeting. That's the meeting. If you want to change that unhelpful dynamic, then all you need to do is try and anticipate before Jim's about to say that proverb and say it before he gets to it. So you say, Jim, I think this is a situation where I think it's not what you know, it's who you know. Jim will be speechless you won't be able to contribute to the rest of the meeting and you'll have a very productive committee. Okay. These proverbs in the Bible, they're really quite exciting because they capture not just knowledge but practice. They help you to integrate the complexities of life and they show us how God is at work in the everyday. So they go from the home to the office to your love life, to your finances, um, to your friends. So it Proverbs will take you on a whirlwind tour of the universe and say to you, do you reckon life, like, life is like this? And you find yourself nodding and going, it is. This is exactly life. And that's why this book is so accessible to people who don't yet know about Jesus. It's a great book to introduce people to. One of the disturbing things about it, however, is that it seems to have more in common with other ancient writings of the day than it does with the rest of the Bible. So if you look at this, well, we're going to look at this section in Proverbs 1, 1 to 7 now, you'll find that in, well, you won't be able to find it because it doesn't, you know, it's hard to find these days, but the Egyptian ancient writings at the time, wisdom, literature, and the Babylonian had almost word for word the same as what we're looking at here. That might um, sort of unnerve you a little bit, but, you know, at the time when Solomon was putting together the book of Proverbs and all these sayings, um, everybody was doing that. Everybody was trying to look for the uh, pithy little sayings to put down for their culture. 
So listen to what um, one king says about Solomon and how he did this. It says, He spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. He described plant life from the cedars of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the walls. He also taught about animals and birds and reptiles and fish. Men of all nations came to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And we know that's true. We um, heard that um, if you read uh, further on in Kings, his wisdom so attractive that eventually the Queen of Sheba and all her entourage flocked down to, to meet Solomon and hear him speak. It was sort of like the Tony Robbins of 1000 BC. So how do these proverbs work in practice? Well, they work because they're the result of stopping and looking at life and seeing that there are patterns there and then putting it together in a short, pithy statement. It's a little bit like what we enjoy about good comedians. You know, good comedians will tell you something that you already know, but they actually are the first ones to articulate it and put it, put it into a sentence that makes you laugh. So Proverbs work like that. So Proverbs will tell you itself how to actually work out Proverbs. It says, ears that hear and eyes that see, the Lord has made them both. That's Proverbs 20 verse 12. As one person put it, it's the wisdom um, of many, but it's the wit of one. It's one person who has decided to put the observation into a phrase, a coined phrase. They, they are the short sentence that is founded upon a long experience of watching and looking at what's going on. Um, they show us the consequences of our actions. So, for example, Proverbs 15, verse 17, better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened calf with hatred. Now, despite the time and the distance and the culture, we understand that proverb is saying to us, you know, you're better off to have less and enjoy life than have all the bells and whistles and have a family just at each other's throats. So that's the essence of it. Or Proverbs 18 verse 8. The word of a gossip, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels that go down to a man's inmost parts. Well, we still understand that. If you go to a party and they offer you um, canapes, you try those cute little, lovely little things that you just get one bite of and then that's it. And you want more and more and more of them. And that's how gossip works, exactly the same. Proverbs work in the same way as something that is well-crafted. So wisdom will leave its mark on things that have been put together really, really well. And that's what a proverb often is. Um, I gave away a jumper to a friend, and um, it was far too long on me. It was actually Chris Jolliffe. It, it was too long on me, but if you know Chris Jolliffe, he's quite, quite lanky. And so... By, you know, had long arms, long body on me. When he put it on, it was perfect fit on him. Um, it looked fantastic. But when I put it on and I looked in the mirror at first, I thought, I can hear my mum saying now, you look like a yard of pump water in that. Now, <laughs> most people in the city wouldn't understand that, but you know what pump water is. You know those big hoses dangling from platforms out in the country where they go and fill up the fire. Well, that's what she said I look like in it. Well, she didn't say on that occasion, but she would use that expression. I knew, I didn't know about the pump water and all that. I just knew that I looked thin when she said that phrase. So, um, but you see, when it went on to Chris, it was perfect fit. It was an apt fit and it was crafted for him, you know, brilliantly. 
I don't know whether he still has it. But <laughs> Proverbs 25.11, it says, A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. So here's a trick to how to use Proverbs. You see, it's not just about learning them and blurting them out. It's about working out when to use them in the right setting. So it's no good saying to somebody, a soft answer turns away anger if the situation requires of you to be blunt. And that's why when you read Proverbs, you'll find, you'll get frustrated because you read one that says, don't answer a fool according to his folly. And then you turn over and it says, answer a fool according to his folly. And that's because the situations, the contexts require a different wisdom, a different response. So if you read this book, it's the art of getting the right words for the right time. And what you can never do with it is turn it into unconditional promises with ironclad solutions to every situation you're in. That's not how it works. It's not a one-size poncho-fits-all situation. Okay. Um, before we look closely at the opening chapter of Proverbs, we need to get a little understanding of the book's structure. Now, I think this is a bit ironic, but for a book that's all about perceiving the order in the world, when you actually look at it, it, it has all the order of a haphazard teenager's bedroom. All right? um, but there is some method in the madness, and it's more user-friendly than you might think. Here's how it works. First nine chapters, all about a father. It's sort of, well, it's, it's, it's couched in terms of a father urging his son to make the right choices in life, in particular to pick the right woman to be with for the rest of his life. And that woman happens to be wisdom, as opposed to Dame Folly, who is, um, you know, the, the other, the, the floozy sort of. Uh, along the way. Once you get back past chapter 9, then you move into collections of Proverbs. And those collections are put together by different people that we don't know who they are now, or some of them are listed in Proverbs, but basically they're collections. And they have no more in common than a collection of seashells have in being seashells. They're just collections um, put together. So it's very hard for us to do that whole thing of what's the context of this proverb and all that sort of thing because they're just collections. So let's have a look at verses 1 to 6 of chapter 1, if you open it there. It tells us what the Proverbs are for. It says, For attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight. So it was written so that the listener, the person who listens, can get wisdom in life and have access to it. Verse 3, For acquiring a disciplined and a prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair. So basically, you're going to have to expend energy if you want to get this wisdom. You're going to have to unearth it. It won't just drop into your lap. Verse 4, for giving prudence to the simple and knowledge and discretion to the young. So these proverbs were there to train future leaders. So uh, in the palace courts uh, during Solomon's time, there'd be all these young, budding people who were coming up through the place. And to avoid them having to learn everything by bitter experience, the Proverbs were put together so that they could learn the collective wisdom of the culture, not just always find things out by mistake all the time. And then verse 5, it's also for the experienced in life as well. Uh, uh, let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. So even wise people can benefit from these Proverbs people who are a bit long in the tooth because there's always more that you can learn about life by reflecting on it. And then you'll notice in verse 6 that it's packaged in a kaleidoscope of ways, parables, riddles, um, sayings. And that's because people need prodding and provoking in a variety of ways themselves. 
um, for their heart and their will and their action. So there's a whole cluster of words that are employed here in this opening chapter that sort of talk about an education or a discipline in wisdom. And it's very, very similar to the way we understand in the New Testament that idea of discipling, of being uh, discipled uh, and following Jesus. Proverbs will say, wisdom is out there for you. It's for the taking. You have to go and find it. You have to go and look for it. Read the book. Don't be a fool. That's the message of one, one, two, six. Now, you could be forgiven for thinking that Proverbs is sort of like, um, you know, the, the Old Testament version of a TED talk. Um, and, and it is a little bit niggling from that point of view. But there's one phrase in it that really sets it apart. And that's chapter 1, verse 7. If you look at that, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It gets repeated. It keeps resurfacing throughout the book. And it appears again in chapter 9, verse 10, a little bit differently. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Now, that's not a riddle. That, that needs to be understood because that's uh, the, 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 the sort of hinge on which the whole book um, is understood and interpreted. Firstly, what does it mean to fear God? Well, in the ancient world, that never rose above terror. Um, people, you know, it was sort of like, the, you know, having the bone pointed, you know, then the gods would get you. Um, so it was that whole anxiety, um, fear, um, terror, um, dread over the gods. And those emotions actually do show up in the Bible when people encounter the living God. But often it's much, much more than that. When God reveals himself to people, it does evoke that fear, that sense of um, I'm in the presence of God, but also an attraction, I want to stay here. Um, it's a sense of wonder and awe. Now, if you didn't actually have an encounter like that with God, what Proverbs is saying is it can be taught. You can learn it. You can understand the experience. Um, secondly, the word Lord there, the fear of the Lord, is not just the fear of God. It's a very specific God. Um, it's Yahweh. The capital letters are the Old Testament word for Yahweh. And that is the particular name that God revealed to, to his people in Exodus 3. It's sort of like he says to them virtually there, this is the name I go by. All right, I go by this name, Yahweh, and they, the, the fear of that Lord. And that, the character of that God is then fleshed out in the rest of Exodus. You read about it and you think, wow, this God's really into rescuing. He wants to get people out of their situations of slavery. Um, and then you think, oh, this God also wants to, to inform people how to live. He's not just going to leave them in the dark, you know, and then slap them around. He actually has a plan for them, and so you get the Ten Commandments and so on. So it's not some vague response to any old God. It's the encounter with the God, Yahweh, of Israel. And fear of that God, not another, is the beginning and the bedrock of wisdom, according to Proverbs. To live obediently to that God um, is about living before a God who's given you more than a few signposts along the way to find him. This is the God who's in the business of revealing himself. So you can take speculation about who God is out of the picture for this. Um, I liken it a bit to, you know, if you go to a party and you see someone over in the distance and, you know, unfortunately you make a bad judgment about them. You know, you look at them and you think, ah, oh, show pony, you know, look at them, uh, 
you know, whatever, you know. Um, and then a couple of people say, oh, yeah, show pony, you know, that sort of thing. So then you get confirmed in it. And then later on in the party, you find yourself standing next to them somewhere. And you start talking to them. I've got the show pony here. Uh, and then they start talking and they reveal a little bit about who they are. And you think, wow, have I got this wrong? This person is not at all what I thought they were. This is what they're really like. They reveal to you who they're like. That's the nature of this fear of the Lord. It's not speculating and guesswork. It's the God who is in the business of showing himself. And Christians believe that Jesus is the pinnacle of that. That's the God who bothers to turn up, show up in our world. And as such, we have the best possible foundation for living wisely because of that. Now, I um, caught up with a chap who, uh, he came to an event we ran on change, you know, love it, hate it, over it. I think was the title of it. And he came along to this event, filled in a little you know, thing at the end, said, like to catch up. I thought, oh, oh, okay, he wants to find out about God. So we caught up at a pub and I said to him, oh, so you want to explore the faith, you know, um, would you like to read the Bible? He went, <laughs> I thought, wow, he's bristling. And um, he said, no, I, I don't want to do that. I said, oh. He said, oh, look, I had a really nasty experience. Um, I got cornered at a church one time, went along with my girlfriend who was a Christian. And, um, and the pastor sort of got me in the corner and said, you need to read the Bible. And, and so I turned up a couple of times and then I thought, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. So I just I flicked the girl and I flicked the <laughs> meeting with the pastor. So I said to him, wow, oh, I don't want to put you through that pain or misery. Um, why, do you, why did you say you want to meet up? And he said, look, I... I've been thinking about my life. I'm in my mid-30s. I don't know what I've done with it. I really want to do something with my life. I said, well, I'm doing a coaching course. You could be my guinea pig. Do you want to do that? (laughs) And he said, I would love to be coached. So we did that for 12 months. So you see, Christians, non-Christians, we're all trying to find wisdom to navigate life. I think the difference is that what he was looking for was little w wisdom, What I understand and know is the big W wisdom, um, and that is Jesus. Fear of the Lord is really about having that proper relationship with the one who's made you and put you in this world. And you no longer persist with this folly of thinking that you're the centre of the universe, that yours is the big story. Um, It's the fear of the Lord that keeps the shrewdness of Proverbs from plunging into self-help therapy i think now incidentally that person after a year of coaching them someone else now is reading the bible with them at his request isn't that interesting small w wisdom switching over now to big w wisdom and it underscores to me the importance of playing the long game with people not just you know the moment uh, that you have Um, In chapter 2, if we move over to that now, not only is wisdom um, given to us by a self-revealing God, but we must pursue it. So listen to what he says here. If you accept my words, if you store up my commands, if you turn your ear and apply your heart, if you call out for insight, if you cry aloud, if you look for it as silver, if you search for it as treasure, verse 5, Then you will understand fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Verse 9, 
Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. So wisdom is like some great treasure to be sought through the folds of the hidden folds of life. It's, um, as Jesus put it, it's the pearl of great price. We sang that in one of the lines of the song earlier, um, uh, sharing the treasure with others. And that story that Jesus told is really what Proverbs is all about, I suppose. It's, it requires everything of you to find that pearl, that treasure. And once you've found it, verse 10 of chapter 2 there, it will enter your house like the fragrance of spring. Now, if you're a Christian, here's another way to tell your story to somebody uh, when they ask you. It's true of my own life, happily going my merry way, doing my own thing, and then I discovered the wisdom of the people of God. I hung around them for a while, and then I got confronted with the wise God of the people. That's the order in which it happened for me. Um, God's wisdom is bottled in the man Jesus Christ. That's what you eventually discover or I discovered. And you see that the wisest thing in a dilemma is to try and work out what's the most critical problem to solve. And the most critical problem to solve, according to Jesus, is how to get people back into a relationship with the person who made them. How to, you know, rescue and intervene in this collision course with decay and death due to sin. And the cross is the remarkable wisdom of God and the profound solution to that problem. Now, like the merchant in the story, when you understand what it costs, then you go, oh, and you have to have the pearl. You have to have the pearl. Nothing else will um, satisfy you. So we live in a culture that counts education and professional development premium these days. You know, what are you doing? What are you studying? All that sort of stuff. But that does not necessarily make you a wise person. Technology, you know, you can, you, can, you can download these days everything you think you need to navigate life on an app. But at the end of the day, don't confuse information with wisdom. They're quite different. Wisdom is about how to control your speech, how to handle your wealth, how to choose a person to settle down with, how to be, stay friends with people throughout your life, how to fire someone, how to retrench someone, how to employ someone. Um, I'm doing further study through um, Swinburne Uni at the moment through their business school, and uh, we, we were having some lectures on leadership. You know, and basically we talked about um, there, there are two types of leaders. There are the experts, called the knowers, and then there are the learners. And one has a fixed mindset and the other one has a growth mindset. And the, basically the, the characteristic of the expert is they spend their life always making sure they're out, they're out in front. They're, they're, they've got the answer and, 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 and they have, they've got it. You know, they're over everything. They're the expert. But unfortunately, when you like that, you get threatened by anyone who has any other knowledge and you squash them or push them away or whatever else. So it's very, very hard for you to learn if you've got that fixed mindset. Whereas the growth mindset is a person who sees themselves primarily as a learner. And they go, oh, you know something I don't know. Oh, that'd be great. I can add that in. That, that's fantastic that you know that. Um, it's a much more accommodating and, um, and a growth mindset 
about the way to go about living in the world. I think that Proverbs is the growth mindset because Proverbs says you need to stay teachable right to the end of life, all the way through. Um, So, challenge to you, which one do you think you are? Do you think you're the expert, you know, the knower, I know everything, or the learner? Do you have a fixed mindset? Do you have a growth mindset when it comes to life? The message of Proverbs is teachable people can become incredibly wise. Smart people can get even more foolish. So we live in a world saturated by Proverbs. You know, seeing is believing. Well, is it? You know, you need to question that proverb. Charity begins at home. That's what I was taught in my family. Well, does it? You know, I don't know. Uh, it's important to question some of these sayings because they're getting minted every day and they're coming up and they're getting used and then we become what the Proverbs are. And that goes all the way from the village right up to the nation. We become the Proverbs we share. So I want to challenge you to think about how Proverbs can find their way into your life, into your heart, into your office, into your family, into your work. Over the coming weeks. Do you know there's 31 chapters? There we go. May 16th, you'll be over them if you do one a day. So why not take up the challenge to read them? Make a collection of your own Proverbs. Um, Put them into a conversation um, to answer worldly ones. Um, Put some Proverbs next to the fridge. Um, Put a proverb on the phone before you talk to someone. You know, it's interesting. You've got that one about the gossip. (laughs) <laughs> in there next to your phone. You know, people ask you questions at work if you've got that. Um, put them around in your life because at the end of the day, it won't be, uh, will you live by Proverbs? <laughs> That's not the question. The question is, whose? Whose Proverbs are you going to live by? Because unconsciously, you'll live by some. You just want to make them the right ones. Let's pray. Father, help us to understand this uh, concept of the fear of the Lord anchoring us to be a wise person and challenge us uh, to think, even in this coming week, what are the Proverbs we're living by? And uh, help those short, nuggety little sayings uh, to conform better to your plans and purposes for our lives. Amen.